I've really grown to love the book of Colossians. It's uh, just powerful in its revealing of Christ as creator. In chapter 1, the one who is head over all things. We talk about his, his abolishing of what the law couldn't do. He nailed the law that was against us. He nailed it to the cross, taking away the curse that was upon us. And uh, this the third chapter. We start seeing Christ who has been who is high and lifted up. Uh, we're going to be starting a, a series today. I apologize. We're going to hit today, and, and I'm going to be going on vacation next week. And you got a, a renowned speaker from known around the world, Pastor Nathan Brenham, and <laughs> going to be preaching next Sunday morning for you. You'll be blessed, and uh, we're excited. It, it, I tell you what, it is so wonderful that you know we can have an assistant here that can just fill in and, and jump in, and, and I go, and, and I don't have to worry about what happens, and I thank the Lord for, for Nate and uh, his service here. But as uh, we get started even a little bit more in a couple weeks, I don't know how long it's going to take, but we're going to hit. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about rapture. We're going to talk about resurrection, and we're going to talk about being in God's presence. And we're going to talk a little about heaven, absolutely, but uh, where we're going to begin here today is this. If there is a subject that if, if I knew nothing really about the scriptures, and this is something that, you know, you and I, we talk about, we say, oh yeah, we can't wait for the rapture, we can't wait for the resurrection, we can't wait, you know, for all this. If, if I were just coming in, didn't know anything about the Bible, and, I, and you began to talk to me about rapture, resurrection, I think y'all are nuts. If there is a doctrine that demands faith, it's the resurrection. Because we're dealing with something we have never seen. The Greek word, uh, the word rapture, if you didn't know it in, in the scriptures, it, it's not there. Matter of fact, your JW friends who do not believe there is a resurrection like this that we're talking about, uh, they deny, they say, oh, you, you Baptists, all you people, you use the word rapture. The word rapture isn't even the Bible. And I said, yes, it is. Preacher uses it all the time. All the Christians use it all the time. So I started looking in the Bible. Guess what? <laughs> it isn't there. Uh, so just so you know, so I use the word resurrection, especially at a graveside when I'm dealing with. Re I use resurrection rather than rapture, as not to confuse. But the word that we use for rapture to snatch away harpazo, which is where God takes and He catches away His bride. Now that is in the scriptures. And that's why we use the word rapture, and to be snatched away. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ himself is going to be doing for us. So if there is anything that you and I need to be believing in, that is in something that we have not experienced, we have not seen, I know no one personally that it has happened to, you know, uh, and, and come back to tell me all about it, you know? I mean, we have some snatched away. We have, you know, Enoch, who walked with God, was not because God took him. In the future, in the Revelation, there are two witnesses that are going to be here on this earth witnessing during the tribulation period, and they are going to be having many of the exact same miracles as Moses and Elijah and sure enough, they're going to finally destroy their lives. They're going to be laying in the streets, and they're going to be, the world's going to celebrate because these two crazy people 
who have been creating all this chaos and talking about God and Jesus, they're finally killed, and you know, CNN and Fox News and everybody's cameras are all over them, and around the world, they are acknowledging one thing that happens in a moment. They, they come back to life, and then they are lifted. They are taken into the very presence of God, and the world, at that point, God says, the world's going to see it. Now, I have to ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you really believe a guy just was walking with God and all of a sudden God said, mm, I'm going to snatch you out of here, you're gone. And all of a sudden these two witnesses in the future, God's going to say, yeah, you're going to die, but that's okay. A few days later, ironically, we're going to take you and resurrect you and you're going to be taken, ascended right up into heaven, snatched away. You say, well, sure we believe that. You know, the question, the way I asked it, was asked to one woman in the Scriptures. Her name was Martha. Most of you know the story well. There was a very close friend whose name was Lazarus. Jesus Christ, on purpose, finds the news that he is sick, not dead yet, but sick, and doesn't come into town right away. Waits, just to make sure, four days. And he knew that he had passed, and he's coming in and, you know, he's talking to his disciples, and yeah, we're going to go back, and, and uh, you know, he's, he's resting, he's sleeping, he uses that phrase, and, and the guy's saying, oh, that's good, he's finally resting, he's, he's asleep, and the Lord's like, no, 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 he's dead, he's already gone. And so they walk into town, and sure enough, one of the sisters, Martha, runs to Jesus, catches him, even before he really gets in front of everybody else, and says, Lord if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Which I believe is a true statement. Because if you study the life of Christ, no one died in Christ's presence. And anybody who was dead, he raised back to life. He broke up many a funeral. <laughs> and, you know, do you believe those happened? Now, we have all experienced, I had a funeral this week, and, you know, there we are with the deceased. Are you following me? You know, and they're, they're carrying this individual, children, you know, whoever, and they're going to the grave, and Jesus is there and says, rise up. And they sit up. I would be going, ooh. I would be afraid. If that happened at one of my services that I had done, I would be going, oh, you know, this is not normal. Do you believe he truly resurrected people? And Jesus looked at Martha at that moment, and he said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he be dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then the question, do you believe this? I mean, this is something like, do you really, really, really believe this? Because, folks, as we were you know, growing up as kids, we had all these myths, all these superheroes. You know, Hollywood is still making buku money on Spider-Mans and, and Supermans and all these other great heroes that they, they, they create. And as a kid, you look and you say, oh, I want to be just like that. You know, why don't we just like Superman when I was a little kid, you know? So I get a towel out of the closet, you know, and wrap it around and jump off the banister, you know, and act like Superman, you know? I couldn't fly like him. He could fly at will. I didn't have these abilities and powers. I couldn't do it. 
but you always had this, but it wouldn't have been neat if. For those who are coming in and new to Christianity, we're not talking about a myth. We're not talking about a hero that's been created by man. We're talking about God. I was reading one man on this whole principle, and he said, you know, you take, you take some iron or steel and you lay it down, and you say, go ahead and, and rise up into the air. And there's no way that that iron, that steel, in its own power can do it. But if you get a strong magnet and attach it to it, you can lift it right up. And he said, isn't that the power of Christ? That we are unable to raise ourselves, but, the, but Christ, who loves us, and comes down and takes you and I, and through his power is able to take us up to where we cannot go in our own strength. This is absolute faith in what God is able to do, not in our own strength. There are even those who are in idolatry that believe, idolatry that, believe that there is an ability through the power of the mind, to translate. And maybe not physically, but in a way, it is a snatching away that you can leave this place through the power of the mind to be at another place aware of and watching and seeing what is going on. The world, even through idolatry, is absolutely fascinated with going beyond what is physically possible to do. I'm here to say today that through the scriptures, we find that Jesus Christ, who is our life, will one day come and snatch us away. And I ask you the same question that was asked to Martha by Jesus himself. Do you believe this? Really? So if somebody were to come in this room as a policeman and say, okay, everybody that really believes that Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to snatch away this church, whatever you want to call it, and, and you're going to jail right now, would you go to jail for it? Do you believe it that much? People did. Through the book of Acts, as soon as the resurrection was mentioned by, of Jesus Christ, they laughed at him, they mocked him, they walked away from them, Sometimes they were thrown into prison because of the preaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nobody rises from the dead like that. They're in the grave, that's it. And at that mindset 2,000 years ago is off times to here today. Without a belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we cannot even be saved. With the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You say, what is all of that talking about? Well, it's that principle that he tells us in that same, very same text. And that is that if we believe that God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So in other words, without belief that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, you can't be saved. You say, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I have no problem with that. But it didn't stop there. There had to be a resurrection to prove his deity, that he is God, that has come to the earth. And he said, I will lay my life down and I will raise it back up. Jesus had to teach us early on in his ministry in John chapter 2. Destroy this temple. 
Three days later, I'm going to raise it back up. The question came to Jesus. You know, you know, who gave you this authority? How can you do these? Show us a sign. What's the sign going to be? He says, I'll give you one sign. Jonas. Three days he was in the whale, and he came back out. That's your sign. The sign is resurrection. And without the resurrection, there is no power in the gospel. It is a completion. It's the culmination of what God ultimately did in his death and his blood that was shed for our sin. That the resurrection is that which conquered what you and I needed. And that was the conquering of what sin did in our lives that we, it, it brings forth death. Now follow me. We, now listen, we as Christians will die apart from the Lord's return. I have, many, I have had many of your uh, uh, friends, relatives in this church that have passed away that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what's Christ talking about? But, you know, he says, if you believe in me, you will never die. Well, the real you doesn't. The body, the shell, does. But the real you and I, the internal part, doesn't. We get to leave the physical body. Now, James describes it this way. That the body without the spirit is dead. So what happens, the moment you die, and you say, when is that? That's God's department. You say, well, you know, I have all these questions, and you know, I'll deal with the issues of today for, for a moment. Okay, what, what happens with a person that's it's comatose, you know, and they have machines keeping them alive and so forth, and, and they never come out of it. You know, they say, I don't know. How do you know? Nobody does. That's God's department. But here's what we do know. That the moment the real spirit departs from man, that's when God says, it is now dead. So you live, even though the physical dies. Now follow me. And what's going to happen, we're going to go into a little more detail, is there's a day, those who are in Christ that are dead already... They are going to come back with Christ in the air. And in a moment, that which they are now, is going to be joining with that which is in the ground, in the ocean, out in the woods, wherever you died, God is going to bring all of that matter back together. You still believe in this? And He's going to bring this all back together, and He's going to join the Spirit mind with the body and it's going to be transformed like that and you're going to be up in the air and here we are talking i hope it's during church but all of a sudden we i'm preaching away and talking away or, or your sunday school teacher or, or nate's preaching whatever's going on and all of a sudden we're talking and bang in a moment we're out of here and and this roof it, it isn't going to hold us we're going to fly we're going to be snatched are you sure you believe this? Are, are you really sure you're willing to die for this? Are you you're sure you're willing to you know, be thrown in jail for something you haven't experienced yet? Now, there are those, I understand, that they had a death experience. You know, they died on the table, and they said he went to heaven, and they saw the light, and people, go back, go back. You know, and I, I don't know what all happens with the mind and such, etc. When, when people are in that situation. I haven't been there. But I do know this. God tells in Hebrews, it is appointed unto man how many times to die? And after this comes, heaven or hell. That's your judgment. As soon as you die, there is a judgment. 
And you are either judged righteous because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you get to go in, and you don't need Peter to get in, or you go directly to hell, and there is no purgatory to burn a little bit of this bad sin off, and then you finally get to go into heaven. doesn't work that way. Did I go too fast on that point? Okay. That is man's ideas of working your way to heaven. And you can't work your way to heaven because that's why Jesus died. He died because you couldn't do it so that you can get in through grace in Christ and what he has done. So we die, and as soon as we really, really, really die, we get to be taken right into the very presence of God, absent from this body, 2 Corinthians 5, we are present with the Lord. And if we die without the Lord Jesus Christ, we have not been given eternal life, and so therefore we have eternal death because you are an eternal being, whether you like it or not. Okay? You are made in God's image. You are made in God's image. Every person here. You have a body, soul, spirit. Whether it is alive in Christ or dead without Christ. You are an eternal being. And you can't undo that. You say, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe when a man dies, they dig a grave. He goes six foot under. There is no awareness there is no conscience. It is annihilated, and I am done. I go into the dirt. I become the ground again, and there is no more. Well, you know, listen, you might think that, but you cannot eliminate truth. You might not believe one plus one equals two. You say, I don't believe it. But guess what? The fact is, the facts are the facts. You can't, whether you believe in it or not, doesn't matter. It is, because God is. He is creator of all things. He has given us his eternal word, and whether we agree with it, like it or not, does not eliminate the fact that he is. And because of the very existence of God being eternal, he has created you and I in the very image he says in Genesis 1, 20, says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So he created man and also woman from man. And so from that day forward, man was body, soul, spirit, father, son, Holy Spirit. And now because of us being eternal beings, we will live for all of eternity. And the key is, my friend, is this. Whether you, whether you believe it or not, there is a heaven. And whether you believe it or not, there is a hell. And while you are here on this earth, if you say no to Jesus Christ, you have to pay for your own sin in hell. It's a real, real place. Also, if you believe in Jesus, you will go to heaven. Now follow me. Those who are saved and go to heaven will never even know what hell feels like. They will never smell it. They will never sense the heat. There is no judgment for them. Follow me. Those who reject Jesus Christ as their Savior will go to hell. They will never have a sense of heaven and joy that, that comes. They will be there. They will be before the throne of God for a moment at the great white throne judgment. But it is a very brief judgment for the individual to be ultimately cast into the lake of fire, and that's it. So that rapture, that uh, taken away from hell for that moment to be judged is not paradise. It is nothing good about that at all. And, and this, folks, is all through the teachings of Christ. Uh, and and I, I love to talk about heaven, but folks, Jesus needed to warn about hell more. He did teach more about 
that hell rather than heaven. He talked about heaven. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He talked about it. But we have to understand is, is he, he, he doesn't want a soul to go there. And, and sometimes, even as Christians, we get in our busy schedules and we forget about uh, how grave it really is. So Christians, let's be a witness. Be a good witness to those who are around us. And hopefully they will come to the, to the knowledge. Now, turn with me to Second Peter for a moment. Second Peter, chapter number 2. Uh, we'll be bouncing to quite a few portions of Scripture through these weeks as we discuss this. And you say, well, I thought 1 Corinthians and 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 were the premier places. Oh, they're packed full of it. But there are so many places to talk about this subject that we're, that we're dealing with. Now, first of all, and, and I'm going to try to be pointed with this as best as I can, okay? But the preacher in me may come out. I may be a little elaborate on some of this. But what you need to know in 2 Peter chapter 2 is this. He's dealing in verse 1 with false prophets, or a prophet would be somebody that proclaims something they believe in in this text. Sometimes as a, as a prediction, absolutely, but I think it's more of a teaching of what they believe. Because later on he says, false teachers who are among you. Now notice what they do. Let's go ahead and read the verse. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately or privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even, now notice this, denying the Lord that bought them. So they're hearing about Jesus, the death, the blood of Jesus Christ, and they are turning away from the, the very one that, that, that died on the cross for their sin. This is like, yeah, 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 let's put him all to the side. We don't want to talk about the blood. We don't want to talk about Jesus. You know, let's just put all that to the side. By the way, if, if you don't come to Northside, you go to another church, and you don't hear much about Jesus, change churches. Okay, you say, well, you're trying to get... There's, we're not the only church. There's churches all over this community that preach Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. And I guarantee you, there's a lot of churches that don't want to talk about the issues. And folks, without Christ, this is the issue at hand. There's no life without Him. And if we start going away from what Christ has done and the price that Jesus went through when he died on the cross, we are missing the gospel. Amen. And the result of that is we as a church will die through a generation or two. Because there is no one getting saved because if, if Christ is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. And we lift up Christ and talk about what he has done. People are drawn to the cross, drawn to Christ, they're saved and life is a result. Now notice verse 2. Many shall follow their own pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall even be evil spoken of. Can you imagine somebody talking, downplaying the cross? Downplaying the gospel and Jesus himself? You say that can't happen. It is happening. And uh, by God's grace... It won't hear. Popular or not, doesn't matter. Folks, we are in a generation, these last 10 years, that we have been producing, maybe 15 years, 
of absolute uh, delusion of what Christianity is really all about. We're in a day where we're trying to, meet, to be more interested in how many are in church, how can we get them in by means of entertainment, by means of flashing and PowerPoints and anything to stimulate the mind. And we've come to a point where you talk about a 40-minute message, it's like, I'm not going there. I don't want to listen to the Bible for 40 minutes. Why not? What's wrong with the Bible? I think it's a pretty good book. I happen to like it. I like reading it. Some of you are getting nervous right now. It's like, oh, wait, stop it. You know, it's like, no, 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 this is good stuff. You need to hear about Jesus. And you say, well, there's a lot of churches, they, 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 they mention him. They don't talk about him. Do they have a relationship with him? I like talking about my wife. I have a relationship with my wife. I can tell you all kinds of funny stories about my wife. <laughs> you know, I can talk about all the good things, things about it, because I know, you know, we have a relationship. When you have a relationship with Jesus, then all of a sudden you have something to talk about. Can you talk about Jesus? Ed Rinker, he's, uh, he, he was living in South Bend. And uh, pro- I don't know how many years ago it was, maybe seven, eight years ago, he got saved at a passion play here. And I didn't know about it until about a year, maybe after that. We, we started meeting. And uh, as, as he and I started to meet, and he talked to me about how he was saved, we went through discipleship for a couple of years. And uh, Ed, he's a business person, you know, into sales and things along that line. And he said, I'll never forget this time. He goes, I walked into a new client, sat down, and sure enough, the, the individual that he was meeting with was a Christian. And they started to talk. He said, Carl, we talked for an hour about the Lord. And then all of a sudden, we got into business, and we talked about five, ten minutes about all these things. He said, you know what was really cool? I actually had something now intelligent to say about the Lord. Because now I have a relationship with him. And I can talk to you about Christ and prayer and what he's doing in my life. Now he's at Southside Baptist Church now over in, but he's close over there and and need to move on. But it's so cool. We let him, Lord, disciple him. He's over there. By the way, he's on visitation with them now. Goes door to door knocking, praying for individuals and everything. It's like ching ching. Hey, that's awesome. I love it. You say, but he's not here. It doesn't matter. It's not competition. That's what it's about. A resurrected life. New life. A relationship. Could talk about the Lord. What could you tell me about the Lord? Do you know? I don't talk about God. You know, politics, God, those things, don't, don't, don't touch those. Why? Who told you that? Who told you you don't talk about the Lord? We want to know Him. There's a story in, in John chapter 14 that describes to us a little about Jesus and His men. He's with His men the night before, just hours really before, He's betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He's falsely tried and hanging on a cross and dying. So this is like some of the very, very last words he tells his disciples. 
And he talks to them about how he's going to die. And sure enough, they're like troubled in their hearts. Why, Lord, would you have to die? I mean, you can almost imagine saying, you don't want to go into town then. You don't want to leave here. Just stay right here. We want to protect you. Peter's like, Lord, this is never going to happen. Oh, yeah? You're going to deny me three times. It's going to happen. We can't undo what, what God predicted and wanted to do for you and I to be saved. And so sure enough, these men are like so troubled. He talk, calms them down. John 14.1. Most of you can quote it with me. He says, man, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. Because in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, now here's the rapture, I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Whether I go, you know, and the way you know. Right there, Thomas stops and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said in verse 6, can you quote it with me? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. What's powerful about that is Christ, through the principle of the rapture or resurrection, is comforting the hearts of the disciples. And he has explained to them, listen, you have an address in heaven. You have a mansion, and I don't like the many rooms translation. I don't like it. You got that? I don't like it. I like mansion. I like think big, you know, in heaven. So Christ is there making a huge mansion. Big place for me to dwell in, you know? And so sure enough, I have that place address, and Christ is making that for me. I'm sorry, I like that. And you can be thinking in your mind, you mean Jesus, since I trust Christ as my Savior, you know, he's building a place for me right now to dwell in? You've got it. You have an address. You are important to him. You say, why am I so important? Well, what Jesus is teaching about there is something that is different than our culture. It is describing a matrimony, a marriage. Now, let me first of all teach you our culture or remind us of our culture. In a wedding that is done in America and most places, who is the attention on? Who made this stuff up? Women, right? They love weddings. Guys, come on. John, you guys, you know, it's like, yeah, let's go through it. But man, I, I'm not interested in all of the pomp and circumstances, you know? I'm not. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Guys enjoy weddings to a point. But boy, the attention. Here comes the... Is there a mention of the groom there? There isn't, is there? And she's escorted in front of everybody. The guy, yeah, he comes in. And, and then the, the gal comes down, you know, in beautiful white. And the picture, you know, she looks so pretty. And that's a good thing. Um, can I explain to you? That that's the way America thinks of weddings. But in Jewish culture, it is just the opposite. You say, really? Uh-huh. 
the attention isn't on her. The attention is on the man. What happens is, yeah, there's been this engagement time period, and then there's a separation. And the soon-to-be husband goes away, and guess what he's doing while he's over here? He's building the house. He's getting everything all ready. And, you know, when, when say you get married, you know, I'm getting married in June 31st of this year. You know, they don't know. She doesn't know. She has no idea when they're getting married exactly. They, we're going to get married, but don't know exactly. But when the house is finished, the groom sets it all. And he does the parading through town, and he goes to her house and says, Honey, we're getting married. And the festivities start. And they go marching down, and he takes his bride-to-be into the chamber, into the house. And there's a lot of detail with the Jewish customs, and I'll stop about right here. But there are things, and basically, they go in, and that is their marriage. The culmination was intimacy. And sure enough, for days then, the festivities take place. You see... We're dealing here with something that Christ is trying to say that I love you because you are my bride-to-be. Paul said, I have espoused you to one husband. It's Jesus Christ. And you and I, the bride of Christ, Ephesians chapter number 5, is telling us that Jesus Christ is preparing a place for you and I to dwell in because we are connected to Christ. He is coming back. He is coming back because he loves us. He is coming back because he wants you and I to be in his presence for all of eternity. He wants us to be in his presence, so he is preparing a specific place. Now listen, I love creation. I mean, I love getting out and seeing the trees and, and going fishing this year. Got some fishing in already, guys. Got some smallmouth bass in already and having a good day fishing on Monday. And so I enjoy getting out and enjoying everything God's created. And you know what? It's really neat. But there is flat out no way you can compare any of the beauty here on this earth with heaven. There is no house that you would ever want to look at and covet after that could be ever compared to the place that Christ is preparing for you. No comparison. Don't miss it. I love HD. High definition. Man, you ever watch a football apart from high definition? Man, you haven't seen football yet. It is awesome, man. You see the sweat coming down, all the details and everything. High def cannot be compared to heaven. Because we won't need glasses and contacts there. Everything is perfect. Perfect vision. Everything brilliant. Colors that we cannot even imagine. All these stones. You know, he talks about the stones there in the, in the New Jerusalem. Gates made of an individual pearl. Can you imagine that? Gorgeous. And all that which we covet and kill for down here on this earth, gold, we walk in that stuff. That's like all over the place. Shining, brilliant. All of the, do you believe this stuff? Are you sure? This is what separates. This is what separates. Do you really believe this? That there will be a day when Christ is going to come and a time when we don't even know when and he's going to snatch us away. And we will appreciate, as Revelation tells us, 
the marriage feast of the Lamb. That we, we will be there with Christ himself as a body, as a church, one. Every believer there with Christ. I can't wait. Folks, as we go through this series, we as Christians are going to be challenged. We need to live in light of Christ's return. And there is that beautiful balance that we try to achieve of anticipating what we're talking about, and yet we still live here. We still have bills to pay. We still have homes to fix up and we still have, you know, jobs that we have to do a good job at, you know. Not like some cult where, okay, let's sell all of our houses and sell everything and sit on top of a mountain because he's coming. No. That's, that's not real. We're to occupy till he comes. Be busy for Christ. And yet, in decisions that we make, things that we do should be in light that the Lord could come right now. That doesn't mean you don't buy, you don't do things, uh, you know, uh, work hard, all those things we're supposed to do as Christians. Absolutely, 100% going towards wisdom and what we should do, you know. But, but we always have it right over here, but he could come right now. And so he says in Colossians, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sets the right hand of the Father. Set your affections. The, the, the word there, the Greek word is, have your mind fixed on something with concern. Set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. You know why? Because Christ, who is our life, will be appearing soon. And we are one day closer than we were. And we got sidetracked from Second Peter, and I'm out of time here, so we'll, we'll zip into some of that but, but uh, this goes on and on. I could spend six months on this subject between resurrection, what's going to happen here on this earth, tribulation, and Christ's second return, and because we're with them through all this. And all of this that we're talking about, you as a Christian, you may not understand it all, but you're going to be part of it all. And here's the thought. Wherever Christ is, I will be. I'm constantly at his side, fellowshipping, serving him, loving him, worshiping him. So if we are going to have a sense of heaven here on this earth, we have to have the return of Christ in our mind. Because if we are going to develop a Christian, to follow Christ as he should, he should be thinking of the return of Christ to motivate him to purity. First John describes it that very way. Okay, I got time for this one. I'm just going to read it. You got to see this one. Look at First John, chapter 3. Just a couple pages over. First John 3. First John chapter 3. 
Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the what? Sons of God. Guess what you are? As soon as you got saved, you became one of God's children. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not, beloved. Now, right now, present tense, are we the sons of God. Now notice, this is going to go to the future now. It doth not yet appear, that's in the future, what we shall be. But we know that when he shall what? Appear, we shall be like him because we're going to see him as he is. So when Christ returns, this transformation we'll talk about is going to take place and, and we are just like him. Now notice verse number three. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is, if I will, already pure. God has already made you pure. You can't get any more saved. You're, you're as clean as you're going to get. You're as righteous as you'll ever get because Christ cleansed you. But now, physically, as we walk through life, with this hope of the rapture, the resurrection, we begin to live more like Christ. That's why we're going through this series. If we forget the Lord's return, we forget we're going to be standing before Him. We start doing what we want to do. We have Christ's return in mind, we're serving Him. When we know the boss is ready to walk in the door, we're busy. We don't think He's going to come for a day or so. Well, let's take your time. The Lord's coming. We need to be busy. Not acting busy. Be busy. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word, and I pray that you will bless the time in it. We thank you, Lord, that you have given something to us, your holy word, that we can know these things, that we will not be caught by surprise. Lord, prepare us. And Lord, as we have seen, that as we have this hope inside of us, we are to purify ourselves even as we all are also pure. And I pray that, Lord... If there are any here this day that this is brand new to them, they know nothing about salvation, know nothing about inviting Christ in, nothing about eternal life. Lord, that you will use the word that has been read this day and exposited to work in their hearts. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will draw them to yourself. I pray that they will be saved. That it will be real in their hearts and their minds. And this will be a changing point for them the rest of their life. Lord, for we as Christians who are here, we can have the tendency to forget. To forget this very important doctrine. I pray, Lord, that you will, you will put in our minds to leave, live each day as though it will be the day of your return. Bless now this time and this invitation. It is yours in Jesus' name. Amen.